Ben Keith, welcome back to the Business of Betting podcast. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me on. And as I said to you before, Jake, I think that um, what you do with your, um, you know, your index of interviews and talking to so many different people across um, the world, across the game, is you introduce so many of us to each other. And I think that that's one thing that with, with much of the demise of the, the betting ring, that a lot of us don't meet up as much as we used to. We don't hear hear the stories and about people, um, uh, you know, about people, uh, their personal side as much as we possibly used to when, when the betting ring was more of a hub for bookmakers. And I'm very, very um, grateful to you for what you do. And thank you very much. No, I, I, I lean on uh, what Mr. Lamborn told me way back in the early stages of this uh, podcast and then more recently about... He was like you in the rings of the the racetracks around the countries, and he basically said everything transformed from that to the online and digital platforms. And it's it's tough and difficult to replicate the uh, the buzz and the energy and the information sharing and the knowledge transfer of the track. However, we're doing our best, and it's it's guys like you and Mark and, and everyone else giving up their time to share their wisdom so that, you know, certainly the younger generation, um, and I learn a lot from this, so it's it's definitely both ways. And I know a lot of people have listened to your first episode and got a lot out of it, so I'm excited to chat again. And we're not going to cover everything we did on, on that episode, but I do want to give everyone a, uh, a bit of a snapshot of your career so far. So why don't you just give us a recap of, uh, or the cliff notes on, on what your career has looked like so far. Just, just before we, I do that, can I just follow on from something you said there? That yes, everything's changed, and when when you hear old time bookmakers say that the game is gone, I disagree with them. I think it's just moved on, and they haven't moved with it. Um, and I think that that's why I love to have friends and people who I take advice from from all ages, whether they be people in their seventies or people who are nineteen or twenty years old, because they have different eyes. Right, and they have different skill sets that I can learn from. But I think that although gambling has completely mushroomed and you can gamble in so many different ways now, the, the reason that what you do is so important is, yes, the game has moved on in that manner, but the community spirit possibly hasn't moved on with it. Whereas I think that previously, over the years, independent bookmakers more looked out for each other, worked together. I don't think there's quite that ethos now because people don't meet up. And I think that when people don't meet, they don't talk face to face, they don't shake hands, they don't have a joke, have a bite to, to eat or whatever. It's easy for ill feeling and misunderstanding more to to, to to grow. Do you know what I mean? And I think that with your um, work, where also where they're not written interviews, you hear people's voices, you hear what they're passionate about, that you get more of a connection with people. So what you do is definitely, it's quite rare now, and it is still very, very important and much missed. So, so thank you. But um, Going on to, to, to regarding my career, I mean, I, I think I said this before, I, I've been very, very blessed in that my dad took me to the dogs when I was 13 years old, kicking and screaming, I didn't want to go. And 
uh, that evening I just found direction. And from that moment on, Greyhound Racing and the betting ring gave me so many friends. It gave me um, uh, many different aspects of Greyhound Racing and bookmaking and betting that I, I yearned to learn about. Um, and um, it gave me direction. And I think that that's where I have been very, very lucky. Uh, the, uh, and I, I must say something. I'm, I'm very, very grateful to the betting industry for for that direction, for that living, uh, and, and for for those friends because um, it uh, it's given me so much. Do you have a highlight that stands out throughout the years, or is it is it part of the the highlight is just the grind, the process, the the everyday nature of what your undertaking is? I think that's a really good question, and without sort of ducking it or being vague, I think that when you are, are a bookmaker or a professional gambler, it's a way of life that you fall in and out of love with. Um, I think that you cannot avoid the pleasure and the pain. Of course, as you get older, you're more numbed to it and, and it's just part of the routine, good and bad runs. But I don't, you know, I think that there are different, there isn't one individual moment. I think that essentially, I mean, I was going to go on to talk about this later and, and, and I will uh, to, to, to about uh, another matter, but I think that being a bookmaker or a punter is all about is 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 you know standing the test of time and keeping going. And yes, of course, look, there's there's great friends that I've met who would be highlights. There's there's fantastic days at the races or huge punters who've uh, you know I've had a good run against who've been highlights. But that that's not what I think it's really about. I think it's um I think it's about building a team, working together. Um, of course, I have to look after the bottom line. I'm the boss. I own the company. The bills are in my name. Um, but as long as we're making a profit, look, I love it when, when we've got a big punter, he's rocking and rolling, and I get him on the ropes, um, or the, the, a few favourite get, favourites get beaten in a row at Ascot or Cheltenham. But, you know, I think it's also about the people and seeing young people enter the sport, enter bookmaking, enter punting, enabling them, um, helping them release their potential and go forward. So I think that um, without sounding like a sort of gambling newborn Christian, I just think that it, the highlight is is just the momentum and being all part of it. Yeah, it's. I like asking that question because it's very interesting to me how Different people across the industry have very different answers. Some love the grind and the process. Some love, uh, you know, laying the favorite in the Melbourne Cup or at Cheltenham and getting a big, uh, big earn out of something that they had a strong opinion on and they remember it so closely. And, and punters obviously remember the the big days or the big wins. So even you know, some people talk about their son or their uncle or their father and bookmaking experiences within the family. So it. It really is a it's a polarizing type discussion when it comes to you know decade long careers and just what people have been able to not only take out of the game in terms of you know personally and professionally but also put back in because I think that's the main thing it like you said it really is a all encompassing thing when you are 
when you have the bug, when you have the the sports betting, when you have the horse racing, the wagering, the the overall betting and gambling bug, uh, it really is twenty four seven three sixty five. It is. I'll t- I'll tell you my highlight. This is my highlight. The camaraderie. I think that when you are a bookmaker or a punter, it is only natural that you will develop a gallows humour, right? The betting ring is all gallows humour, right? But you do outside of the ring or outside of knowing other bookmakers or professional gamblers or whatever, you get to know people, you get to know their situations. And look, we are risk takers. We get ourselves in pickles. We have unfathomable um, bad runs that affect us, not just financially, but mentally, And I think that when I've had bad times, it's those times that you get to know who your real friends, the people watching out for you. And when I think about friends who've had very bad times, the highlights for me would be to have seen them kept going, kept learning and got to that good run again, got to that different opportunity, fought their way out of out of debt or, 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 or frightening situations or whatever and get to happy times again because they retained that strength of character and momentum. So that, that for me would be the highlight of being a bookmaker. Um, it would be the camaraderie of um, working with other bookmakers and punters and, and getting to good times again. Yeah, absolutely. And we spoke middle of last year, not quite 12 months ago, but in that range. Tell me about any updates or changes that you've noticed across the board with your business, with the industry, you know, good, bad and the ugly, if there's been many, uh, many changes or the evolution throughout that time. Um, As a bookmaker and as a businessman, I am a massive believer in momentum and compartmentalizing areas of life. Your friendships, your relationship with your partner, your health and diet, your working life, yeah, your, your well-being. And I try to push each of those areas forward every day. So at the end of the day, even when I've cocked up in one of them, I can always take a positive somewhere, right? And I think that, um, look, Uh, My best friend is a guy called Harry McAdam. He's been incredibly educated. He went to Eton, then he went to Oxford or Cambridge, one of the two, I always get it confused. And he always talks about when he was at Eton, uh, he, he had incredible teachers and all the rest of it. And he says in the classics class, his favorite class was when the teacher said that the emperor went out to battle and when he came back and he'd won the battle he would enter the city walls and he'd be and he'd be going yeah i won i won and everybody's cheering his name and saying you're fantastic well done you won but but beside him there'd be a little uh, man saying you are mortal you are mortal you are mortal to remind them that next time when they go out they could get their head chopped off and i think that The best piece of advice I've ever been given was from my dad. When I did my first day's work experience, he stopped me. I was running out the door at 13 years old to go and work for Bo Brown of West End Racing. And he said, wait, stop. He said, you're going to work for so many different bookmakers. Take the good, leave the bad. Always learn the positive from every single person. And I think that... um, There are some tragic examples of bookmakers who've enjoyed incredible success 
but then not move with the times because they love to say how it was done at White City or how it, how um, uh, Sunderland's used to lay credit punters or how this or how that and how the, how, how Betfair doesn't matter, how, how it doesn't matter what it is over there uh, in Vegas. Or, no, everything else matters and keep learning, keep respecting the market and all, all of that type of thing. And um, as I get older, all the time, I try to take counsel from people of different ages. So that might be people in their 70s to, to gain from their cynicism and their experience, or people who are 18, 19, 20 to, to benefit from that keenness, from that attack that they have, from the fact that they are on point with technology. So I would say that I'm developing by still developing my network learning and talking to more young people, right? Physically, how is the company developing? I'd say we've opened more betting shops. We have more sites where post-corona we will open more shops. We're doing well out of shops. We're, we're gaining and more our market share in areas. We're moving onto shops, big punters to play online or, or, or on the phone uh, as, as, as credit punters. We've got people traveling to our shops to get on so they because they don't want to get messed about um, by, by, by uh, bookmakers who don't want to play big punters. Um, for our platform, which is what our website sits on, it's our engine, we own that. We sold a copy of that, which meant that a bookmaker could do what they want with that copy themselves, but not uh, allow allow or sell it, uh, allow other bookmakers to use it or sell it on. So we we, we don't feel we've dilute, diluted what we've owned. That money will go to push the platform on further. That that's a long term goal. But um, no, I, I would say that. Um, in the last year or however long it's been, it's just been about keeping on moving forward, keeping that momentum, keep learning, keep meeting new people, keep finding out what's going out, going on in their mind. What are they thinking about? And just staying that that few yards ahead of the wave. That Emperor story is, is very relevant from my observations of the industry and hearing from people like yourself, those on the front line, <clears throat> excuse me, on the bookmaking side or, or the gambling side. And I think... Overall, this game being as ruthless as it is, and you really need that humility to to, evolve, to develop and, and evolve with the game. Uh, so it is a great point because I think that's where, you know, as you referenced, there's many different people. They do it in many different ways. And I've noticed that the, uh, the ones that have been doing it the longest and have that uh, long-term viability uh, are obviously very savvy, but also they know when to, they know when to talk, but most importantly, they know when to listen. Uh, let me uh, that that's uh, very very well well finished off there um, let me tell you a story that haunts me I'm not going to name names right but there is a bookmaker who I'm very good friends with and uh, he was sitting in my lounge a while back and it's it's a sad thing to say but a true thing to say he, he sits there he looks homeless right he is still friends with punters, bookmakers. He would really live on handouts, but he's a great conversationalist. You can learn so much from him. And as I said, he is that warning. Yeah. And uh, I asked him a question once because um, uh, I know that he, he, he used to have Rolls Royces. And I said, um, how does uh, when you when you steer a Rolls Royce, 
how does that compare to driving another car? And he, he's got, uh, you know, stains all over his trousers, holes in his shoes. He's like a hobo now. He looked back at me and said, I don't know. I've only ever driven a Rolls Royce. Now, this is a guy who lived in a house in an area of London. It, it would now be a six, seven million pound house. He had everything. He was showbiz. He was right at the top, right at the front. Every big punter playing with him. But he didn't move with the times. He thought he knew more than the market than the game, than other bookmakers who were entering. And um, I think that you can learn a hell of a lot from very, very successful people. But do you really just sort of sit in adulation of them and hear about a share that they bought for 10p that went to two quid? And, you know, well done. The, the bookmaker I'm talking to you about, I think if that does to respect the market and respect others, then nothing will. No doubt. It just, it, it illustrates how transient things can be. And, and obviously with what's happening in the world right now, I wanted to ask you just generally and, and, and briefly, if you like, but what impact does this pandemic have on you, on the business, on your people? What's, uh, what's life like in the middle of April with what's going on? As a person, it's, it's been a rehearsal for retirement. Look, I've been as busy as ever. I've been talking to people all day and looking at opportunities and trying to keep my management team on their toes because I don't want them to lose momentum. But it's been a rehearsal for retirement. And it's just said to me that I need the mental stimulation of meeting people for coffees, for walks, for dinners, whatever. Um, and I miss that very, very much. Um, so I would say that uh, it's given me that head start to see what re retirement would be like. And, uh, and for me, that's a fallacy. Um, in the business, I would say, look, on a turnover level, it's smashed the turnover. Genuinely, we're probably doing like 5% of the turnover that we were doing before. But the margin's crazy because it's people betting on, you know, table tennis and uh, American horse racing or whatever, but no, that's completely smashed it. Um, uh, as with lots of bookmakers, we'll be trying to take advantage of the situation to get as many of these um, business loans and grants. I think that um, now is a time where there will be opportunity when we come out the other side. Um, and uh, again, I, I suppose it goes back to always thinking, look, just keep going. Just keep going. You don't have to be hitting a six every day. As long as you're doing the right thing, opportunities will come. And um, I think that one person who stood out as a real hero and inspiration to me at this time is Fred Doan, Betfred. Here's somebody completely self-made with his brother, many, many you know, decades ago in his late 70s, he has attacked, attacked, attacked. You know, he, he's got a website. He's got, what, 1,500 shops now. He bought the Labrooks Corals, uh, 300 when they merged. He bought the tote. He owns a race course. Um, you know, he's, he's put himself in a position where he's bought a huge um, chunk of William Hill, uh, uh, 
at discount prices during this crisis. His intentions there are clear. He wants to try and take over their shops. The man is a Marine. You know, nothing will stop him, right? And I think that uh, you look at him and you think, if ever you want an example of a great bookmaker, I think it has to be Fred Doan, that he just keeps going. He stands the test of time. And now, whilst others are losing their heads, he's keeping his and he will grow even further. And I would have thought in his lifetime, he, he may be the biggest bookmaker in the UK. And I, I just think that the, the way he keeps going, what an inspiration. Someone like that, they need to wear multiple hats on different days at different times and not just be a, a clever bookmaker, but I'm sure a businessman, like you said, a Marine, that might be a, a very apt adjective for someone like that who's had to adapt and evolve as much as anyone, just given how prominent and the current position. Look, I mean, it was it was said in the uh, it was discussed in the media at length that he he very sadly lost his wife a couple of years ago. Well, he didn't go into his shell. He bounced back into work. Um, you know, he's got this huge HR company, Peninsula, a huge property portfolio. He's involved in everything. He stays fresh. I would have thought he has a strength of character that is without equal that keeps him going with all the people who will be trying to trip him up and get in his way and stitch him up. Um, he is relentless and, um, you know, he is, he, he's got to be a hero, an example for every licensed bookmaker in the UK. I mean, I think that when you've asked what's happened in the last year, there's been two disappointments for Star Sports. We um, tried to buy the William Hill shops that were sold in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland, the shops in Northern Ireland are the most valuable in the UK because you can't open near them. You know, you open a shop and that's your area. People in Northern Ireland, they love gambling. There's a good average spend in the betting shops there. We applied to buy those shops. We got we got a long way down the road. They were sold to Boyles. Then Mo Play, who were a corporate bookmaker, they sponsored Man United. They went out of business. We were first in to try and take over the punters. We set the deal up. We dealt with Mo Play. We dealt with the liquidator. They, they were saying, you're in the lead. It's all in your hands. Keep going. Our IT people were talking to theirs. They said, the decision's coming tomorrow. You're in the lead. The next day, they said, oh, well, we just decided to extend till Monday. So I knew that, that one to 10 had probably become about six to four in that moment. And on the Monday, they said, we're just extending ending to Tuesday and Moplay was sold to Betfred. So essentially, we'd set those deals up, we'd, we'd conducted ourselves well, and then people were waving our offers around to say, really, who wants to better it? And I think that um, when Star Sports go forward now, post-corona, there will be opportunities with betting shops. Maybe there'll be other online firms to take over and... Um, all I can do is put myself in the race, but I do worry about keeping on playing bridesmaid to Boyles and Betfred, who are such fantastic companies who are attacking and moving forward all the time. But look, that's all part of it. It's a learning process and my time will come. So what's your vision looking forward for the industry? Obviously, 2020 is going to be a very unique year. And if we can, which we, we certainly can't, but putting aside for a moment the, the crisis and the pandemic, it does sound to me like there are opportunities, there are 
moves to be made, at least from your perspective. Is it something that you would expect to continue throughout the next 12, 18 months? And, and from your point of view, where is, where is the industry generally heading? The main move is to survive, though. I think that that's the thing for every bookmaker and punter to, to remember. You know, it's such a cliche, but there is no last race. And I think that more and more and more, when you look at odds checkers, less bookies every time, isn't there? They're closing betting shops all the time. Now, there's negatives there. Why are there less bookmakers on odds checker? Why are there less betting shops on our high street? But still, I believe that if you offer a quality bookmaking service where people get a friendly service in a clean shop, they're professionally dealt with in a friend get on without being messed about, get paid out, people will bet with you. I don't think that you can make opportunity and you can make moves. When you push for people to bet with you, you will give away too much. I think that when you try to make something an opportunity, Margaret, my my PA, um, she has a phrase. She says, um, uh, "If it's if it's not all right, it's wrong." It's, it, it, you know, it, it, it's all got to be right. When there's a deal, everything must tick the box. Uh, and um, you know, th- there will be moves, there will be opportunities, and I'll be ready for them when they come up. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna force. So one. One topic that's often uh, discussed and is critical, and I think even more so in the current times we're in, is responsible gambling. And uh, there's obviously some some downsides that come with those discussions, of course, but I think there's also uh, the other side of things. And I'm very interested in your point of view as a, a bookmaker on the front line. How do you think about responsible gambling and can you overlay what's currently going on and, and how we need to be thinking about it? I think with responsible gambling, there is a good, a bad, and a reality. I think the good is that there are very, very well-meant, skilled, and qualified people like, say, Brian Chappell, uh, Andy Margette, um, these guys who know everything about mental health connected with gambling. Um, They are... uh, well meant they are kind right and they understand the difference between somebody who has a genuine problem and somebody who's just trying it on um richard flint a legend of bookmaking i imagine you've interviewed him there's a man who moved skybet from being a small bookmaker to probably at one point being the biggest bookmaker (laughs) in the world or one of the biggest um Richard is, is a gentleman, you know, his CV is, is, is unbelievable and what he's achieved. He speaks a lot about responsible gambling. Um, those people would be the good side, right? I think the bad side is that there are cynical people out there who see responsible gambling as the new um, global warming where they can get lots of grants and pretend that they feel sorry for punters and essentially just um, be ambulance chasers, uh, stirring it up with bookmakers to try and get grant money off the government or the gambling commission to set up fake charities um, and help fraudsters 
who are trying to um, open accounts with bookmakers, self-exclude the next day and then keep on opening accounts, changing their name by a letter or their email email by letter and then saying, oh, you let me bet. I want my money back. And uh, just thieves. Um, there are people who protect them. And then there is the reality. And the reality of responsible gambling is for me, everybody has their own uh, realities and opinions and truths. This is mine. Bookmakers and punters are like cats and dogs. They don't get on. They never have done. They never will. Right. Um, When thousands of betting shops were closing, when uh, the corona hit and uh, some of the firm's share prices were going from £1.50 to 35 pence. Uh, punters were, were very pleased about that. They made, their, they made their opinions and their position very clear, that they thought that was um, very funny and something to celebrate. Punters don't have sympathy for bookmakers, and bookmakers don't have sympathy for punters, right? Accordingly so. And they shouldn't. It's not about sympathy. Responsible gambling is about fairness and having a proper set of rules where people are treated fairly, they're paid out, they're not messed around with, sent the passport in 15 times, photoed at a different angle on the bookmaker's side of taking liberties. And on the punter's side, it's not about trying to open multiple accounts when you're self-excluded or look through the rules and find snide things. When a punter's bet with me, when it's over, whether he's won or whether he's lost, I want it to be down to him and its responsibility. It's not my fault. It's not his fault. He's had a bet. He's been treated fairly. He's been paid out or he's lost his money or whatever. And everybody moves on. For me, responsible gambling, it's not about sympathy. It's about fairness. Very well put, I think. I think it's it's such a nuanced, a tricky issue. There's so many more people involved in the discussion now, whether it's psychologists, whether it's uh, you know experts from other fields opining on the gambling industry that's obviously been around a long time. So I don't think it's one that's going to go away anytime soon, but obviously within the current world, it's, uh, it's more heightened impact, I'm sure. And just switching a little bit now towards uh, towards the punting side, I'm, I'm interested... How do you feel the the punting side of things has had an impact on your bookmaking? Because my sense is that so many on the bookmaking side either started out on the betting side, or at least it was a it was a major area that they focused on or, or spent time within um, to sort of hone their craft on the bookmaking side. I think that um, when you think about business, essentially, unless you're an absolute giant where everybody has to do what you want and sing to your tune. And that very few people get themselves into that position. Deals have to work for both sides. And when people come and sit in my office, I always say to them, what do you want? Tell me exactly what you want to get from this deal with me or where you want to be in two years. Let's see if we can get that or or as close to that as possible. Because if I can give you that, you'll then give me what I want. Now, Bookmaking and uh, bookmaking is never quite like that because you're not really working with a punter. He wants to win your money. You want to win his. So it's different from a deal where where everybody can win. But I believe that the best bookmakers do start as punters because at least you understand that 
other side of the game. You understand your enemy. Who are you taking on? Where, where is he going to be looking to attack you? Where will you be weak? Where, where do you need to cover up? When can you run forward where you know that a punter can't possibly have an edge? Right? Now, in my 20s, I made a lot of money betting, playing all around the betting shops in Brighton, bad each way, playing off the, the football coupons. When the market had moved, the coupon price was still there, backing horses in the morning, whatever, right? My heroes were bookmakers who had chains of shops. I went out and I bought the, the first half a dozen betting shops I could find because that's what my heroes did. I wanted to be like Tony Morris. I wanted to be a bookie at the dogs with 30 or 40 betting shops. Those six shops, because they were the first I bought, half of them were no good. Sold a couple to Betfred. That was a result. I had one good one, but I didn't do well at it because that was what I wanted to do rather than what I was actually good at at the time. And punting in my 20s, I would say that my 20s were about making mistakes and learning from them. But making money punting enabled me to be able to learn and keep going. And my 30s was about kicking forward with that knowledge and making ground as a bookmaker. And now my 40s will be about solidifying star sports, putting, um, you know, more steady stuff into into the balance sheet. You know, our property portfolio grows all the time. We want more betting shops. It's not all just about taking on high rollers. But um, yes, I think that the punting is a different discipline from bookmaking. But if you become a successful professional gambler, if you have people skills, you should then be able to become a um, successful bookmaker. But you can't have an opinion when you're a bookmaker. Very, very few, but I can't think of any bookmakers who've done very well and achieved hugely by having opinions on races and events. It's a different discipline, but the punting will teach you the maths of the game, which will never change, of course. Do you ever wonder what life might have been like if you did take on punting full time throughout, you know, the last couple of decades and what the the outcomes might have been and whether or not you might have had success, you know, long term doing it that way? Well, we still have a punting department that runs on now and it's run on the principles of how I bet when I was in my 20s. Um, and Gary Woodgate, my right hand man, he runs that. He runs it very, very well. Uh, that's a, a new area that he's moved on onto, and I'm so proud of what he's done there. He's been working with professional gamblers who we sponsor or we take their card. Um, we uh, work with punters who bet with Star Sports, where they they will have a guaranteed bet that they can place with us. That mark then goes to our punting office, who follow it in. So we are still able to work with. With punters, I mean, um, you know, uh, you can't work with every pro punter. Somebody calling us saying that they've got a fantastic um, uh, card on, you know, betting on like corners or uh, badminton or something like that. We can't work with them because we can't get on those bets anyway, right? And there's no point working with a pro punter who has his uh, his bet at two to one, and then as soon as he puts the phone down, it's seven to four everywhere. You need to work with a punter who will respect you and respect the market where he'll have his bet with you be happy with that, but, and then we can go to work and do what we need to do. 
Um, but look, I think that um, the pro punting side of star sports has been there for many, many years and it's grown on and we sponsor other pro punters, we sponsor other people who do what we do, who use our principles, we work with others and really now Gary is working at building on those relationships. You know, we, um, for instance, uh, we sponsor a couple of people who play on football. That's not something that we've done ourselves, and um, but we try and help them. We mentor them along. We, we we introduce them to banking people, to lawyers, to agents, so they can get on in Asia or other ways that we can use our own betting accounts for them to play on the football. And it's about managing those relationships, helping them through their good and bad times, advising them on cash flow, and more the sort of operation side of being a punter because it's not just all about saying if I place this bet I've got a 4% edge you know there's a lot of pro punters out there who, who are super super intelligent but you know you can't be too nerdy you, you, you've got to they, they, they've got to have uh, other skills as well so that example you referenced before when a smart individual comes in and basically bets and the market collapses around their betting obviously is is clearly a disadvantage for the bookmaker and not something that, that that anyone really wants to entertain. But more generally, how do you approach the the smart individuals? I'm guessing that's one example of a situation that might arise, but there are many more, especially on the the bigger cards, the bigger sports, and things like that, where there is a way to to adapt what the professionals are looking for, and, and you can make it a part of your business. Look, I. Um... I had a chat with Gary recently and I said to him, how much do the mark accounts cost us in the office, right? Where we know that we're never going to beat this guy and we keep laying him to get his card so we can bet accordingly and shorten that runner up as bookmakers and we can follow it in as punters. He said that we probably have about 300 grand a year. Now, I nearly spat my tea out when I heard that, and I sort of spent the rest of the day saying again and again, are you quite sure that, that, that this is all worth it? And, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry. We, this guy's following it in. This guy's following We're doing this here with it. We're doing that there with it and, and all the rest of it. But look, essentially, it's as I say, um, if people have got a super-duper edge on a sort of weirdo uh, derivative market or you know second half uh, uh, touchdowns in for the away team that doesn't help anybody yeah um, and if they place the bet and the market collapses essentially it doesn't really help them long term is it does it either i think that now this is it's a more sophisticated world there's so much technology looking out for clever punters and all, all the rest of it that um you know you, you you can't be a bull in, the, bull in a china shop anymore. Is there any difference between the the individual uh, versus the syndicates? And obviously, there's a there's a lot of uh, myth. There's a mythical nature to the syndicates, and there's not necessarily a wide array of information out there about their operations and their their betting. But do you sense there are differences when it comes to you know an individual or a, or a tandem team versus a syndicate? Um, well. I mean, the word syndicate, it's not, it's not like when you're a dentist and you've been to university for seven years or whatever, and then somebody says there's a certificate, you're a dentist. You know, 
Um, there are syndicates out there who, who, I, who I want near me about as much as, as a handkerchief with coronavirus all over it because they're absolutely lethal. These are people who back winners every day of the year that you're never, ever, ever going to beat them. Yeah. I mean, we had one who I won't name his name. He got a bit close to me and I felt that he kept having his putter on us trying to get round me and I had to call him and uh, uh, veer him away from my ship a few years ago. Um, I think that possibly some of these people think it's the UK bookmakers might treat them like Asia where we, we just send the money every day, every year because we're, we're so in awe of them. That's not the case. Um, but uh, look, to me, what's the difference if it's a syndicate or a pro punter? I've got no edge against the business. Either I either I can work with them or I can't. But what's the, professional money is professional money. Yeah, that's what I think. So, have you had many experiences with uh, with those people that are involved in those types of those, those types of betting groups, or do you encounter them throughout your experiences? If Mr. Jake opens an account with me tomorrow, I don't always know if it's his bets or not, do I? It can be. Yes, I, I have had syndicates break through and be playing with me. And if you're asking me what the difference is, a standard pro punter who does his card, studies his form, who plays on the horses, his business is more obvious. The syndicate people are very, very clever and they make sure that when they bet, the odds don't tumble. That would be the difference is that the, these are people who they, they cover they cover every base and the market not shaking after they've bet is one of those bases. But um, look, we've had a, 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 an American uh, syndicate that kept getting through to play on um, uh American sports with us. Uh, they got through one too many times and I had to um, be rather direct with them. We had a football syndicate in London who were betting on something else get through. I had to call their owner and, and tell him that uh, I wasn't as in awe of him as some of the Asian bookmakers who send him uh, money every year are. Um, but, you know, look, life goes on. I run my business, they run theirs and that's that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where we hear about the likes of Tony Bloom, and you know I've even spoken to someone like Harry Finlay, who's very well known, and there's other syndicates out there where you might know them by name, uh, but it's certainly not something that you know I don't expect Tony Bloom to to sign up with an account with you and then uh, bet so directly. But I'm guessing it's a it's an interesting thing when you're behind the counter as a bookmaker or you're behind the screen as a bookmaker and you're dueling with uh, with some of these bigger players. Uh, look, I, 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 bookmakers pick what they bet on and I pick who I play. So I don't try to be people who I think have got an edge over me. It's not like a battle to me. It might be a battle to some hunters. For me, it's business and I take the bets or I don't take the bets. I, 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 I look at a client. I don't look at somebody and think, you know, I want to take you on. I would have no interest um, whatsoever in in taking Tony Bloom's football bets because he, he's only going to win a piece That That's not going to change. I'm not going to change that after 20 years because it's not like I've got an opinion where I think, well, I can pick his bets that are going to lose. I'm clueless. That, that That's how it is. It, you know, I'll keep winning as a bookie and he'll keep winning as a punter 
but I don't need to have some type of ego battle with any punters to, to see if I can beat them if I don't think I'm going to. I wanted to, to ask you about mentorship in the industry and it, it, it works well with what we discussed earlier with respect to uh, just the way the evolution of the interaction with uh, the bookmakers and gamblers and the in-person experience changing. Firstly, from your perspective throughout the years having mentors, and we'll get to you being a mentor as well, but just uh, from that direction, what are some of the best experiences you have or learnings that you can share that you think might be useful for the, the broader betting community? That is a wonderful question. You always ask in your interviews you always catch one really wonderful question for your for your guests and that's a great great question there because i think that the best side of the gambling world the great game has to be mentorships you see them you are involved in them you have mentors you are a mentor um Look, when I had my first job at City Index, they were a spread betting firm in London. Now they're a super duper stock market uh, financial spread betting firm, enormous company. They used to have a sports spread spread betting uh, department and I worked there. And they had a client called Martin Johnston, and he was their biggest winner. And Martin used to win on the football and the dogs and the horses. And uh, he had all of his different notes on on everything. And he'd work out the prices. And it was his pricing up against our rods compilers pricing up. And Martin won nine times out of ten. And um, anyway, I made friends with him. And... When I grew up and I used to go to the dogs, I used to watch bookmakers. But the game shuns youth. When you think about the heroes of what we do, they're always the old people. Look at look at Fred Doan. Look at um, John Magnier. Uh, you know, it, it's it's these they they get these sort of revered positions over decades and decades, right? But I wanted to be a young bookmaker at the dogs and have a betting shop near the track. So the people from the track would go to the betting shop and I would build my business from there. That's how it used to work. Right. Right. That's how you'd work your way up. Then you get some pictures of the races. You do a bit of your own punting. You'd open another shop the other side of the town. You grow a business from there. Would you be a local small independent? Would you be the next show, Coral? You'd find out. Right. Anyway, so I met Martin Johnston and Martin was the coolest person I had ever met. I would leave work. Uh, you know, Friday night, drive out to the city of London in my old banger fiesta with rusty holes all over it, make my way down. I used to get lost about three times on the way and have to call my dad because I was useless with directions and say, Dad, I've ended up in Winchester. How do I get to Bournemouth? What road am I on? And I get to Bournemouth. And um, uh, Martin would take me to the Bournemouth Steakhouse. That was his Martin uh, Martin Johnson at the Bournemouth Steakhouse. This is this is like you know this would have been like going to Langan's with Peter Langan, right? He was the man there. He'd go in, Martin, how are you? We've got this piece of meat, and I thought the Bournemouth Steakhouse. This for me was like the Ritz. Okay, so we'd have a steak. Then the next day, 
We'd go to um, Martin's betting shop. He'd go in, he'd know all the punters by their name. We'd sit in his credit room, the punters calling through. Martin would be sitting in the corner picking every winner. We'd then go to the dogs. I'd watch Martin work. He'd done his card. He'd watch the videos. He'd done his prices. He had his small punters bet with him, his big punters bet with him. And he was a mentor. He advised me. He disciplined me, right? He wanted the best for me. He pushed me on. Then he'd hold me back when I was making stupid errors. And still now, his principles, his friendship, that kindness, those teachings, that, that, that way to be as a person, right? Never mind just a bookmaker or a punter, an immaculate person in terms of being smart, dealing with others, being polite, being professional. I take that with me now. And I think that how can I pay Martin back? He, Martin doesn't need me to take him to the Bournemouth Steakhouse. I'm sure he still goes there every Friday night. I think that Martin will have more money than he, he, he can ever spend now. He, he is a man uh, who he, there's nothing I can give him, right? What I think I can say to him is that I've handed on, I've taken on that baton of, of uh, mentorship and I've really, really enjoyed doing the same for other young people, being tough with them, pushing them on, encouraging them through failures that they've had, saying, look, where do we learn from that? That was, a, that was an error there, but let's take the good from it. Let's not do that again. How can I help them release their potential? Because when I think about our product, what is our product? I hate that, that corporate people have destroyed the word product. They, re they refer to ancient sports like horse racing and greyhound racing as products. What an awful word, right? But essentially, we don't have a product, do we? It's like when they call betting shops stores. Well, we don't sell anything. There's nothing in our store, right? We do what we do. There's nothing noble about it. We do it to get money. When we're a punter, we want to win. When we're a bookmaker, we want to win. We want to win money. What does money mean to me? Money firstly means security. I can pay the bills, push my company forward, support my members of staff, not just in their working life, in their personal life, when they get married, when they have children, whatever, I can be there. That gives me pleasure, right? That is a wonderful power to be able to push somebody on and help them at a key time in their life, right? But... Money is choice. And being able to have the choice to enable somebody to release their potential, to do their best, to, to find their level and, and run free and attack at that level gives me such pleasure. And I, I would say that that for me now, as I enter the second half of my life, I'd like to do more and more of that, help young bookmakers, help young punters. And I think that, um, look, uh, Star Sports, we, we support a children's home in Peru. Uh, we have an ambition that we would, uh, you know, we publicly said it, we'd like to buy Romford Dog Track at some point. Uh, I would like Star Sports to open a children's home 
in East London. East London has a lot of poverty. There's a, a lot of problems there. And I think that um, for me, the best thing that you can do for children, it, look, obviously they have all the parental things they need, but, but help them make dreams come true. You can have a dream, you can have potential, have education, have a way forward. And that's what I'd like to do for young people. Look, it's a very small thing, but we're part of the BHA apprenticeship thing. We take on apprentices from the British Horse Racing Board. The fa my favourite um, night of the year is when they do their fabulous dinner and barbecue and we meet the apprentices and, and the apprentice then comes to our office and works for a couple of months and it, they're so keen, they're so happy, they want to do well and, you know, we want them to do well. And... Um, uh, it's as I say, I feel so grateful to the game. It's given me all I could uh, have ever wanted and more and, and more than I could have dreamt of, right? Um, and I think that that's what I'd like to give back. I'd like to give back to young people. And that's what I, I choose to do with my time and my money. That's awesome. And I think just one quick follow-up on that. Do you have any... Any secrets, let's call them, for those young folks that are looking for a good mentor and maybe do have one around extracting the most useful information, how they can learn best and how they can utilize a mentor such as yourself? Good question. Look, I think that um, when you go to school, you learn about things and you get these qualifications that people crave, you know, an A-level in chemistry and a GCSE in, uh, you know, uh, physics or whatever. You're never going to use any of it. Um, but they're very, very important. Maybe they show your IQ or your academic abilities or whatever. There's no qualification ever for emotional Part of emotional intelligence is knowing that it's important to be nice to nice people and find their level. Different people have different levels. And that's something that you learn when you're a boss is that essentially if you ask someone to do a job and they cock it up, it is your fault because you, you read them wrong. If you're a young person and, you, and there's somebody that you admire and you go to them and say, excuse me, can I have half an hour of your time? And they say no, or they're snooty, or they talk down to you, or they blank you. The loss is theirs, not yours, right? Because essentially they were a bit of a dick and, and really you probably read them wrong. If you're serious about what you want to do, you'll find a nice person who will want you to do well, who will encourage you, who will box you around the ears when you're silly, right? Who will push you on when you're doing well. You will find that person and they will help you and you'll both gain out of it. Um, I, I really do believe that. I think that there are plenty of people out there who want to mentor and will be willing to mentor keen, open-minded, and, and um, nice young people. Definitely great advice. Ben, it's always a pleasure chatting. I'm worried about stealing too much of your time. Uh, I'm very glad you were able to come back on the podcast and you accepted my invitation. So thanks again for, for coming on and chatting and, and being so open with me. 
I'm very, very grateful to you and uh, you're a real professional and thank you very much for inviting me on and um, thank you for everything you do.